This is the CEO and the president of Shane Taylor Promotions, the baddest of all time, Shane Taylor, and you are listening to Wrestling With A Bear. I am Chris Rex, and for the last 10 years, I have been traveling up and down the roads as an independent professional wrestler. I have had the opportunity to train, work with, and share locker rooms with some of the best who ever stepped foot inside of the squared circle. My co-host is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. the Bear of Texas. Born outside of Lyon, France, he moved to Texas at the age of four, and his love of sports has led him to become a sports journalist with eight years under his belt. Together, we mix my knowledge and experience as a professional wrestler with his research and raw journalism to bring you an educated and unique view of professional wrestling. This is Wrestling with a Bear! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling with a Bear. I am one of your hosts, Chris Rex, and joining me is Alex Alcazaz, a sports journalist and passionate pro wrestling fan. And we've got a special treat for you guys because we now have a third co-host. He is not only my best friend, he is not only my tag team partner, and the best rival in professional wrestling, he is John Hun. Yes, thank you very much. Much appreciated. It is a pleasure to be here with you and Alex. I want to, you know, thank you for inviting me on. This is going to be a ride, and I'm glad to be doing it with my best friend and brother. Alex, we are going to become just as close as me and Chris the more time you spend with me. Thank you very much, John. And I just want to let you know how much of a blessing it is to have the opportunity to be working with you. It's been a blessing to be to be with Chris. You know what? I'm just I just feel so blessed. It's been a while since he stopped wrestling. I, I hate using the word retired whenever it comes to wrestling, but uh, <laughs> that never that, it, it it never just stays that way. Uh, but he's back in the game in some way now with wrestling with a bear. Um, and the reason I invited him on and I'm sure Alex realized when we met up for the Diamond Cup, you know, that he is as passionate as anyone else about professional wrestling. He, and I'm not just saying that because he's my best friend. Um, that's why we're best friends. That's exactly. That's, that's why we started Backyard Wrestling together. Fun. Introduce yourself. <laughs> as as Chris said, you know, I am John Fun. I started backyard wrestling at 13 years old and I went by the Punisher because that's my favorite comic book character. So, you know, I went by the Punisher, got a tattooed on my arm and, you know, that was my first, you know, gimmick wrestling in the park. You know, then I created an actual, you know, character, you know, and, and that's what I say took me into being known by all these other different backyard companies all over New York City. Once the superstar of all superstars was born and I actually invented myself. That's when I can say my name started going out there and, and other backyard people, you know, started hitting up Deep Impact Wrestling and trying to find, find us, you know, because Deep Impact Wrestling, you know, I didn't know when I was doing Deep Impact Wrestling at the beginning, I didn't know how big backyard wrestling was. And especially here in New York City. I didn't know that throughout all five boroughs, 
there was a bunch of group of teenagers doing exactly what I was doing. Like, I didn't know that there were so many backyard wrestling promotions throughout New York City until they started contacting DIW to ask about us and how they can come join us. So, you know, that's when I started, you know, mingling with other companies and decided to, you know, let me see where I can go. Since other people were coming to me, let me see what I could find out there. And that's when I found Insane Backyard Wrestling, which was Chris's promotion that he wrestled in. And once I found, you know, them, that was pretty much it. I stopped the IW for a little while and committed myself to Insane Backyard Wrestling. I love the atmosphere. I love the group of people that I met. And, you know, it was just, I felt it was a perfect fit. You know, then we took off. We um, brought back DIW for a little while. And then we started getting um, into pro training, which I, I let Chris, you know, start, start with that there when we decided together, you know, to start pro training and, and start leaving the backyard life behind us. Yeah, well, the, it was like kind of a, a transition because I, uh, the IBW backyard promotion, we all kind of had that same mindset of let's see if we can make this bigger than what we are right now, bigger than this. And in Jersey, there is no wrestling commission. So you can pretty much run any show and you can charge money and you can do whatever you want. As long as you got a ring in the building and wrestlers, <laughs> and it's still that way today. And we yes. had changed the name to what UWA Ultimate Wrestling Alliance, but we was doing that in Jersey. Yeah, they, but they, we they, wasn't going to go by Insane Backyard Wrestling anymore. I think we called the Underground Wrestling Alliance. Underground Wrestling Alliance, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we used to run out of Ace Pro Wrestling in Jersey, and that's where we kind of started started picking up training and going out yeah. there on the weekends, and you know. I wouldn't say we were becoming pro wrestlers, but we were starting to become we starting, starting to get, up. you know, like we, we were still backyard wrestling, but little did we know what we were getting into, what we were actually doing for our future. And yeah. we, we, we trained with guys like as I don't know if they remember us, um, as we remembered us, but, um, uh, we trained with Jay Lethal sometimes and we trained with Asriel. You know, so those were two guys. So at the time, Jay Lethal was, you know, a, a name. I would say around 2008, 2009, he was in TNA. Uh, so that led us to well, FTW. He was he was already in TNA. I thought he was in Ring of Honor still at that time. Around 2008, 2000, maybe that was right before he went to TNA. I think so. I think he because I think once he went to TNA, he wasn't really coming into Jersey that much to to be at Ace. I think it was while he was still in Ring of Honor and doing, you know, a lot of these New York City shows where he was coming to Ace more often. That's where we started teaming up because, you know, back when we was yarding, that's when we was each other's biggest rival. We went to war with each other. Like, I think we fucked each other up more than we did other people, except Cold. We, <laughs> we fucked each other up because we were best friends, because it's like, all right, this is our promotion. We got to show everyone what what we want to see. You know what I mean? And then also having that trust for each other, knowing that, yeah, we're going to fuck each other up, but we're going to walk and go home at the end of this match. And that was another thing that we knew that, yeah, we, we might make each other bleed, but we know that he's not going to cut me over to the point where I need to go to the hospital and get 20 stitches. I know I can trust him enough to do it safely where, you know, it's going to look beautiful on camera, but we're not going to fucking go and, and need hospital beds. 
You know my oh, best way to describe you guys based on that situation? How you guys say you guys fuck each other up? You guys are like Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. <laughs> I can say it. Yeah. Much, that, that, that could be how our friendship is. Because we are going to be friendship until we old and die. I mean, we're going to be best of friends. And, you know, we started young. Yeah, I have, I have what, six years in age on him. But that's not even that big of a difference. I mean, yeah, when we met, it was that big of a difference. Because even though... Mr. Chris Rex was 17. Mentally, he was 13. And I felt that this kid has so much potential. And I just, you know, took him under my wings. And I, I pretty much feel I helped raise him. His brother, his father, they were raising him. But I, I feel I had a couple of hands in there because I was helping too. You know, I feel that he looked up to me. And if I could push him to do something great, great. Then I did something good. And you know we clicked. We we like the same things. Yeah, I can I can say we probably brought us close close together too when uh, I first joined. I that's, what, that's what it started. That was our first conversation. Yep, and, and then me beating up my infant son. That made everybody love me. Oh my God, this guy's crazy. I just want to let people know he did not be, he did not beat really beat up his son. I don't want y'all to fucking start trying to file cases on this mother. <laughs> my, my son is 16 years old now, so when we met and I did this, he was like two. <laughs> I seen him go on the top rope of our makeshift ring that we made ourselves, okay, and give him a tombstone pile driver. And I was like, this man is sick. What the fuck is he doing? And then the kid gets up like nothing happened to him and kicked me in my face. Yeah, you know the, the the biggest no sell of the century. You know you got tombstone off the top rope, and he's up on his feet before I get up off my knees. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you weren't even that old back then. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Me and Chris, we became best friends, and wrestling was was that thing. We I brought back DIW for a couple of um, other wrestlers in IBW, and there was only one person I wanted help helping me run the company. And that was Chris. So we started running Deep Impact Wrestling together, two promoters, and we took this backyard wrestling company of eight wrestlers, ended up having about 25 different wrestlers from all over New York City coming to Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York, just to wrestle for Deep Impact Wrestling. When you have people that's traveling over an hour by, by public transportation just to come wrestle in your park. <laughs> in a fucking public park. Your your public park. I mean, we must have been doing something good in the backyard wrestling world, you know. And that went on for a while. You know, we we were like I said, biggest rival. We did not team up with each other at all in the park until almost the very end of of the of our. Well, we started wrestling. teaming up with with UWA. With UWA, we started as Brooklyn's finest. But that was you know that was once we started going to to Jersey and upstate. Yeah. You know, that I could say that was towards the end of our yard because in DIW, we never teamed up. No. We never, we was always rivaling with each other. We never teamed up. We were, we were, we were always two heels fighting each other. I we didn't team up in DIW until about a year before I went pro. Yep. Yep. And we brought Brooklyn's finest into DIW. Uh, but we did team up if you, if you think about alcoholic and Diablo. Oh man. Alex. <laughs> Alex. You know how sometimes wrestlers have to do double duty? Yeah. And sometimes they have another gimmick that they work as, a mask gimmick. At a time when we only had eight wrestlers, 
Or have we decided to make it 11 wrestlers now by coming up with mass gimmicks for us that will wrestle in the opening of the show? And, you know, until we can start building our roster. And that was the original plan was until we were going to build our roster. Well, we had these three characters, the uh, Diablo de Honduras, which was my mass gimmick. My favorite out of the three characters. <laughs> okay. We had the alcoholic. <laughs> that was that was my mask. Who was which you can tell by name an alcoholic, and it's funny how that that name came about because at the time I was rapping, and I was trying to become a rapper, and my name was AKA. So he thought it would be funny. Well, alcoholic, AKA holic. <laughs> <laughs> and then had a gimmick from IBW that he used called "Smoke a Lot of Pot I Must." <laughs> he, you know, he has this high character gimmick. I have this drug character gimmick. And Diablo de Honduras was just. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a brief backstory on. Um, he was. I was what eighteen at the time, seventeen, eighteen at the time. He was thirty-four years old. He was the twenty-three-time uh, Honduran world champion. No, he was ever reported. Like last of um, his nephew or some shit. Yeah, and like he, he was like a fucking 16th generation wrestler. He's like just the most co- insane, complete shit thing you you could think of. But he was a luchador, and like we all came up with different wrestling styles for so that fucking know it was us, you know? Yep. It was it was completely comedy, and, and these characters were not meant to last. They became some of the most over characters on the entire roster, which is what we didn't want them to be. <laughs> We came up with a belt called the Jobber Title, where yeah. you had to lose to if, win the belt. If you lost, if you were the person to get the one, two, three on you, you became the Jobber Champion. <laughs> I had no, never ever heard that though. before, but that's was our other belt. And he's always trying to lay down and have us pin him so he can stay champion. And we're all trying to, we're all trying to lose. <laughs> It was some of the funniest backyard wrestling you would ever see. But it wasn't supposed to be as over as it was. It, it just wasn't. It was stupid shit. It was you know, stupid shit that whatever we dumb shit we would get come over. up with, we did. And the, but then the, the, the kids and the people that came out to the parks that watched us, they loved it. So when we wanted to stop these characters, we couldn't. So we were wrestling double every week. We were doing these side comedy jobber characters and then doing our, you know, Punisher and Reckless at that time. Our big, you know, big batches, you know, because, you know, we're, we're the top of the food line, food chain in DIW. But, but it's not like we would take it easy with, with these characters either. It's no, not like we... No, no but we, once they got over, we couldn't take it easy with them. <laughs> it was just some of the funniest stuff. Then we, you know, we decided to start going pro and Chris felt Ludus. I stood in the park a little bit longer because I was, I was having fun training people. I don't know. Um, I had fun meeting new people and starting to train them and pointing them to the fucking schools. And if you know Mark Quinn from, um, from Private Party in, um, AEW, he started in Deep Impact Wrestling. Wow. His first ever match that was backyarding in Deep Impact Wrestling. I still have a match with me and him on YouTube somewhere in, in the park, and me and him was wrestling in the fucking rain. It was raining that day. 
That match is still on YouTube somewhere. Punisher versus Quinn Cross. I always say, if you can sing in the rain, hell, you can wrestle in the rain. I was having fun still meeting people, training people, helping people, like, find these these schools. House of Glory came out. Ludus came out. And I was telling people, these are the two places you want to go. Ludus and House of Glory. Quinn Cross, uh, Mark Quinn, that's, he went to House of Glory. And the rest was history. Now he's a fucking superstar. And I'm so happy for him. It's like, you know, and I, that's what I was doing. So... When I decided to leave the IW and, you know, a lot of the backyarders, they were upset because a lot of them, you know, they, they came from top, low poverty neighborhoods. They didn't have a lot of money. So for them to go into uh, wrestling school was hard for them. So when I just closed the IW, stopped backyard wrestling, a lot of them got mad at me because they had nothing to do. I, I went to the Ludus with Chris and, you know, Joel Maximo. See, I, I'll tell you something. That, that was a hard decision for Pun to make. Mm-hmm. You know, to to go pro for me, as selfish as it sounds, it was the easy. It was an easy decision for me. Like, no, I need to think about what yes. I'm gonna do. You know, and that's because my goal wasn't always to become a professional wrestler. My goal was to eventually open my own independent wrestling company. That was always my goal from day one. Yes, I got to get into the wrestling business somehow. So I guess I have to wrestle, and I got to get somewhat good at it so I could get my foot in the fucking door. But my goal was always, I want to promote. I want to run something. That's what I got the brain to do. I want to write storylines. I, I I want to write rivalries. That That's my heart. That's where my, my passion is in the business. And and that's that's slightly where we, like, defer now. And it, yeah. it's, where, it's where the comedy stuff, like, I'm not, like, when we watch, when we live together and we would watch wrestling with each other all the time. Yep. When there like there's be things that he like he's laughing at and I'm just like that's just fucking like I, it, this is wrestling you know what I mean so there's like things that he brings to the table that I I, I do like I do like and, I do like gimmicks I'm sorry like Hurricane that was pure comedy and he's one of my favorite wrestlers ever not even Shane Hell the Hurricane <laughs> is one of my favorite wrestlers ever uh, I mean I mean like serious the Boogeyman one of my favorite characters ever. I, I I do love gimmicks, but I don't love like stupid gimmicks like like Mantor or Bastion Booger. You like you'll find that, that comedy a comedy spot in a match like cool, and then I'll be like, mm-hmm. I was a pure gimmick. The superstar. Of that, that's what I'm saying. Reckless was not a. There was no gimmick behind no, me. That was I you. Max never even had a gimmick. It was just me, like turned up a little bit, but it. Yep, that was you. My my character was to be. I'm short. I'm skinny. I'm 125 pounds, soaking wet. But goddamn it, I'm the superstar of all superstars. I'm better than each and every one of you out there. I don't care how big, small, fat, skinny you are. I'm number one. You know, I had this this spin I did. I put my hand up in the air, pointed superstar. Oh, superstars and spun to the 360. I was all given. In the park, but I, when I transitioned to the ring, I really I didn't want to bring that gimmick with me. That was all backyard rest. That was my gimmick. That's where I, you know everybody knew who I was with that. But I didn't want to bring that into the ring with me. Like he, like Pun said, we kind of went different ways when it came to training. He he yep. trained in uh, the Bronx, like in BWS. I went to Darrow's. Yes, I went he to Darrow's, and I was in Lutus, and I had you know been kind of. 
building my rank in Buddhist, you know, because for me, it was the first place that, that took me in and that, you know, it became a home and I, I still, I still, that's still my home always. I'll rep Buddhist, you know, I, yeah. I got it tattooed on me and, and then he came and trained with us a few times. So it was never like, oh, you're training there. Like he was my boy. So I would no matter, even if he went to like a, a school that supposedly had beef with us, even if he did that, I would still be like, nah, that's, that's my boy. I'm happy for that. Cause I know he's not going to get involved in no, no, no bullshit, you know, but it was never like that. Like he was always welcomed around us, you know, and Lord friends because I was loyal to Chris, no matter what I was doing, where I was at, my loyalty was to Chris. And I lost, a, I lost a lot of friends and some opportunities because I remained loyal to Joe. So our loyalty is, it, 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 that's what our number one in our hearts is our loyalty to each other. I had a group in FSW called SNAP. And, you know, there was a few different people in it, but I would say the height of it was around 2015, 2016, when it was Sammy Callahan, which, you know, I cut Alex's favorite promo. <laughs> um, Sammy Callahan. Uh, we had Asriel, Kevin Matthews, Mario Bocara. You, yeah. me, bad boy. So I always, I've always been a fan of. I will, I'll bring my boys with me wherever I go. Like if I can get them yes. in anywhere, I'm yeah. gonna get them in. And I didn't know how Joel would feel about me just bringing him in on the show and just putting him on the show like on my own accord. You know, there's just respect that respect to Joel. Asriel came up with the idea of yo, he should we had because Joel made this flag. We had this giant flag. <laughs> Like yes, yes, flag with the snot logo on it. As we'll just came up with the idea of, yo, we need a flag boy. He should be the flag boy. Yo, you got a hat? I I always wore fitteds, so I was like, I do. As was like, give him your hat. Put it on backwards. Puts it on backwards. He has his gear on with the snot shirt. Yeah. That was it. Joel came down. As we pitched it to Joel, Joel looked at him and said, yes, it's on. So we had our flag boy. Yep. And I made my debut in the Lions Den Battle Royal. I was in the Battle Royal. I, I got eliminated early and stood outside the ring. And I was catching all my snot members every time they got thrown over the top rope and not letting them get eliminated. I was catching Bokara. I was catching Chris. I was well, catching... I was in the ring most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I helped eliminate Teddy Ammo. With you. Oh yeah, because he wouldn't get out the ring. He 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 was he, he was trying to hold on to the ropes, and you came out from underneath the ring to eliminate him, and I was still outside the ring. So the so the story behind Teddy Ammo is he was our DJ, and sometimes you know to get a little break on 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 pay or you know get a discount on pay, they want to live the dream a little bit, you know. So they all offer a discount or some of their work for free if you let them get in the ring, and you know we gave them a little bit of training before. And, you know, we're not dumb. We're not trying to kill people. And we told him specifically, here's what you're going to do. One spot. And then you're going to get eliminated by uh, by, uh, by me. Yeah, so you was the one eliminating him, too. I was, I was under the ring. When I come up for the spot, I see him doing the spot. And then he's trying to stay in longer. So I had to, like, really, like, it was like a shoot trying to get him out the ring. <laughs> and I, he wouldn't. And he's standing on the apron, and I just run off. I think I ran off the ropes and just drop kicked the shit out of him. Because at this point, I'm like, bro, all right, like, 
now now you're fucking with the flow. We have ideas for this, you know what I mean? Yes. It's not just even brief. though it's a battle royal, it was still you know there were still spots and things planned for that match, and things had to go according to plan for everything else to follow. So and then so, he's trying to hold on to more time in, in the ring, and he's slowing down the process of the next spots coming up. And you know we had we had to force forcibly get him over the top rope and out the match. I actually caught heat from Joel one night. Not Pete where we got into it, but like I he had said he had to like have a talk with me and he said, Yo, it's not supposed to be it's not it's not supposed to be getting over. And I was like, What do you mean? Like we're we're being heels out there. And he goes, Yeah, but the people are chanting for you. And we were running kind of in my neighborhood, around yeah. my neighborhood, you know, where I used to my hang out. So I mean a, a lot of people that I, I, I sold tickets to are my obviously my people, so they started a lot of them started buying shirts and there was points where it was FSW and half fucking snot chance. So Joe I was like, yo, I can't you like control what they're doing. You know? Snot was like seven deep also. Yeah, you know, and we had some good runs. Once Sammy Callahan joined, I mean, it was right when he left WWE. Yes. So like he was hot, hot, hot. hot. And he, no one expected he joined, he, he joined Snot. You no know, one expected it to happen, and yeah. no one expected it to happen with me. And um, I've always kind of caught heat and been hated uh, by you know a few people in the New York scene. And uh, you know, I, for me, it was like a fuck you to them. Like, oh, I, I'm working with you know. I stayed in the hotel with Sammy. I had talks. I picked his brain. Like he was more than willing to help me. And you know, he was a cool dude and taught me little things that I that I adapted later on in my career. But, you know, so that was kind of like a, a, a fuck you to all my haters because no one would expect that to happen and for Sammy to willingly do it, you know? Um, so we became pretty hot and unfortunately um, we were supposed to run a show in June where Snot was going to win all the belts and we were going to burn the belts because Joel wanted to get new belts. So we were going to burn this. The idea was to burn the belts and we were going to have two new additions to snap. Um, there was going to be a point where in the main event match, it's supposed to be an Iron Man match halfway through the match. As real comes out, Jeremy Lin is the referee. I referee yep. Vince Russo is the booker. So he allows it and he says, you know what? Let's let's I'm the king of swerves. Let's swerve and and we'll throw him into the match. Jerry Lynn fast counts for as real. Jerry Lynn's in on the snot. Vince Russo comes out. Vince Russo's in on the snot. We all fucking FSW wrestlers start running out, and we we were supposed to dodge out into Pun's car and, and, and film us driving off. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it was about to be a big angle where we were gonna run the next show. It was gonna be a snot at FSW show, a snot show, <laughs> like kind of what NWO sold out type thing. And that's what led to us tag team because that show never happened. And uh, the promotion closed. You get burnt out after, you know, doing it. And, you know, you're not really uh, really making the money at the end of the day, you know. Or feeling the same way, you know, you did. Yeah, or feeling the same way about wrestling. I know I got burnt out. Yeah. And you needed a break. That's why he just needed a little break. And look at him now. And he with his biggest comeback fucking wrestling rock and roll experience. Yep. Then, then we took the Scumbag Nation, the, the snot name, as a tag team. There were two people who were a part of Snot that 
when they left, uh, when they were like in the early days of Snot, they left FSW. I'm not going to name drop them because yeah. I, they're not worth my time, but they started making designs and shit and started thinking of making money without talking to me about it, without talking to Joel about it, and kind of like cutting me out of my own shit. And I didn't like that. So when they left, they took, they, the name of Snot meant Scumbag Nation of today. That's what it meant. They went off to other promotions under the name Scumbag Nation. They wound up breaking up with a tag team because of uh, some legal, <laughs> some legal stuff. Dum, da, 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 dum, dum. <laughs> That's why I was like, why, why aren't you going to name at least one of them, bro? <laughs> um, his name is Rude Boy Riley. Uh, and so they broke up and once that happened I said it was around the time we were thinking about teaming up and I said that's it we're going to use a scumbag nation name and one day I came up with a design for us he came open work and was like alright let's do this he paid for our fucking gear our custom gear because I was always adamant about custom gear and we got to look like a tag team so everything everything to the T he, he, I didn't think he wanted to wear a crop top shirt, but we did it to fucking. Hell, fucking yes. It was but once good. I realized my how fun. was good in my crop top. <laughs> I don't have that six pack anymore, but shit, it looked good back then. Woo! So we started teaming, and we didn't know where it was going to take us, but we wound up getting a lot of bookings throughout. I think it was only a year we were teaming or something like that. But it felt yeah. like two, three years. Going everywhere. It started with, um, I think, Bill Town. I think Bill Town Championship Wrestling was where it all started. Yeah. And we was all over the place. And that was before we had the gear, too. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we went back to our old gear. Remember we both had the same fucking pleathers? I had I had the skull bone, the skull bone shorts, pleather shorts. And then I had the... I had the, um, and your leather jacket. And your leather jacket. I was wearing your leather... Or your USA jacket. One of them. The, the, you the had death. one and I had one. I, yeah. I remember we both had one of those jackets. Until and the gear came up with tag team moves like the fucking the neckbreaker that all the neckbreaker. Oh, we the were, we were like, let's just be neckbreakers, everything. Anyway, we're tagging in, stomp in the corner, ending with the double. Well, we still left Joel. <laughs> I, I always loved that Joel did that in Japan and never any stomps. Yep. We had the, the wheelbarrow cutter. Oh. And then we had our our tag team finisher, yeah, uh, the backbreaker double knee spot, flying double knee spot, yeah, it's fucking beautiful. I was the headbutt master. You did all types of neck breakers. I was headbutting people like junkyard dog, and it was those fun times, man. Just teaming with Chris, traveling the roads, you know, just us two in the car up and down to the East Coast, you know. We I do the I do the sleeps. You do the drives, bro. Yep. Rex Rex does the naps, Pun does the drives. <laughs> Yo, I wake up in the middle of a nap and come up with a spot for the <laughs> Wake up, wake up. Yo, I got this spot for when we wrestle the cool people, bro. Yo, you was just fucking snoring. What the fuck are you talking about? You got a spot. <laughs> what do you mean you got? I've been driving for an hour and a half singing and you're here snoring and you got a spot? I gotta, I gotta and then, say, and, and I learned this from Chris when we were last in Tampa. It seems that Chris might be asleep, but he is on full alert, especially if you try to wake him up. Don't wake him up. Don't even, <laughs> don't, don't even like touch him when he's sleeping. 
<laughs> that is not something you want to yeah, do. I know. He almost, he almost, almost, Dave almost got knocked out, bro. I almost got knocked out. Air, ready to swing. And you he know, had swung before. Yeah. I mean, I sleep like a lot. Like, nothing wakes me up in my house. Yo, nothing. he has conversations with you in his sleep and doesn't remember them. Yo, yo, yeah, man. All right, when, Ethan, when my son was a toddler, I mean, an infant, not even a toddler. When my son was an infant, I, he, he woke up in the middle of the night screaming bloody murder. I didn't hear it. My wife gets out of bed. She goes to pick him up out of his crib. When she picks him up and turns around, she trips and falls. So now she's on the floor with a screaming baby, and she's screaming to wake me up. And and I'm she's like a half a foot away from me, screaming to wake me up. Her father from two rooms away comes all the way into the room, shakes my leg, and, and like pretty much yanks me off the bed to wake me up. And I hear Ethan screaming. I see this big, big, big guy standing over me. My wife's on the floor. <laughs> and I have no idea what's going on. Oh, oh my God. So, you know, it's crazy how we're in the car, though, driving for an hour and a half, and he's sleeping next to me, passed out with his head up against the window. And then all of a sudden, he turns to me, yo, I got a spot. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, yo, you, just, you were just sleeping. What do you mean you got a spot? Like, you haven't said nothing to me for like the past 90 minutes. You got a spot? <laughs> and yo, that, that that's you how playing the whole match in the car ride made it the easiest night for them. Oh, that cool people match. Yes, you, you, you did plan that in your fucking sleep. That whole match, you planned in your sleep. <laughs> Still my favorite matchup. And we also yep. won tag team belts, but never physically got never held them. But yep, I, I can actually say I was tag team champion with my brother. Let's go before I ha- before I stopped wrestling. That that company was the beginning of me saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I still want to be a promoter. I still want to run my own company one way or another. But that company where we won the tag team titles was the beginning of me falling out of love with re- actually wrestling, with, with doing it. And I just really started like not wanting to do it anymore. That was the that that promoter, that guy, that 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 was the beginning of me losing my heart in Florida. And and gentlemen, this story, I mean, the fact that I'm just sitting here listening and I'm just like I'm drinking it in, as Chris Jericho would say, I mean So we was wrestling for this guy named Jay Miller out in um, Sandusky, Ohio. All right. And we never heard of it until we were told we were wrestling there. <laughs> but, you know, we met this guy. He booked us for the show. He told us we are wrestling this other tag team from Detroit called Name the, the Spirit of Detroit. He told us we're wrestling them for the tag team championships and he's putting us over. And this is, you know, when we, we, from, we were just, you know, Working for him. we were we were workers. At this point, we you know we the friendship didn't take off until a couple of weeks later. So we we're like, yo, we were hyped. We we're like, oh shit, we're going to Ohio to this company, and he's putting the, the straps on us like that. So we you know we were hyped. We we thought it was cool. I don't know if you felt that way at the time, but that made me realize like, yo, there's somebody out there that that, that, that knows that, who that, we that, are, that, you know, that, that, that sees that we 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 can carry a tag team division, that we are good enough to do this. So I was hyped. I was like, yeah, somebody believes in us. You know? And then also, Chris was doing the graphics for, for the show. 
And now, you know, we we talk to the promoter pretty much on a daily basis. Jay Miller. We started um, becoming friends. We started, you know, developing a friendship. And, you know, Chris is working on the flies for the two, three matches that he had advertised. And we noticed, you know, we're getting closer to the day of the show. Time is ticking. Time is ticking. And we still only have two, three matches promoted and advertised for this show. So we cut, we hit up Jay Miller. We asked him, yo, what's up? What's up with this match card? And he told us that he's having difficulty finding workers. So, you know, we asked him, if you want help, we can help you. We're not going to ask for extra money to book for you. Just tell us what your budget is, what you can spend on workers, and we will book you the rest of your card. And that's when, you know, things started to take off with our friendship and, and things looked promising. You know, things were looking great. So now me and Chris are the absolute bookers for the company. We are doing all the booking after this first show was supposed to happen. Leading up to the first show, we booked a bunch of our friends from here in New York, people that we could trust, people that we knew would make it to the show, you know, and people that worked in his budget also. Pun even drove anybody that didn't have a fucking ride. We had two cars or three cars packed of New York cars. guys driving yeah. 10 hours. So we, we came with three cars full of wrestlers for this show. But, but even before the show happened, we're starting a book for future shows. You know, now that we, we, we are the bookers and he, he passed us the book and the rain and, he, you know, we're starting a book for future shows. So we had Brian Pillman Jr. scheduled for February. We had Jerry the King Lawler scheduled for April. Also, Jimmy Hart was scheduled to be a manager for for a couple of months, not just one show. But we, we had Jimmy Hart booked for like three months. We went through these agents, you know, we got people booked. Who else we had booked? Big, big names. We have a Bob Evans book, and we did have Jeff Jarrett. Remember, we were going to do the King of the Mountain match. The show was going to be called King of the Mountain. We had a six a six month plan. We had from January to July booked and planned with the promoter. We, everything we were doing was done on daily phone conversations with the three of us every day. Every day, he told us, you know, what he was working on, you know, because he he's the one he was the one that booked um, Jerry Lawler and, and um, Jimmy Hart. He was booking this amusement park out in Ohio for our big show that we was planning in July. All right. He was supposedly do supposedly doing all this, right? January show comes around, you know, no problem. Show happens. The the only major problem I'd say is he did not have the tag team championships. I can say that was the only major problem. Other than that, you know, we had camera, we had all the wrestlers, everybody got paid, everything went smoothly except for the fact that he, the only belts that he did not bring was the tag team championship belts. So we won the tag team titles without actually getting to hold our belts for the, for the first time. Me and Chris, we're, we're, on, a, we're on a high horse, a uh, cloud nine right now. We're like, oh, wow, this guy is legit. Everything is going fine. We, we This guy sees something to us. So we're continuing to book the February card now. We, we had this tournament that we were planning. You know, and we're booking the card and we're booking, you know, bringing in the first female tag team that's going to be, you know, in the tag team division. They, they were going to be the ones to beat us for the tag titles. We had this big plan. We, you know, we was booking all these great talents, man. And then, you know, a week before the show, Jay Miller goes ghost. 
before the second show, the February show. All right, the first show was in January. The second show was in February. A week before the February show, he goes ghost. He just disappeared. Not getting in contact with him on phone, Facebook, email, any contact we had with him, we could not get in touch with this guy. So now, me and Chris are panicking. We're just the bookers. We have nothing to do with, we have no. nothing to do with nothing. Our sole job was to contact wrestlers, find out their booking fee, see if they fit in Jay Miller's budget. If they did, book them. That was our sole job. That's all our job was. And, you know, now he disappears and we have no idea what's going on. Wrestlers are contacting us. The venue is contacting us, telling us that they're still owed money from the first show. And that was our first red flag of what's going on. All right. When the venue started contacting us, then out of nowhere, this whole thing comes out that he's a registered sex offender. Oh my but like he did something where like they, they were looking for him because he didn't go to an appointment or something. So he was wanted. And we found all these articles on him, all these news articles. We saw what he did. It was with a young boy. Yeah, he was he was homosexual, which we had nothing against, of course. But what he did was with a young boy, an underage boy, and he was registered and all this stuff came out a couple of days before our February show was supposed to happen. And now me and Chris are getting contacted by all these motherfuckers. Everybody's hitting us up. Because we're the ones that booked them. Nobody really knew who Jay Miller was because everybody dealt with me and Chris. So what does that look like? It looks like me and Chris run the company. And it's also, we, we kind of blended the lines of reality where storyline, we owned, what was it, 51% of the company? Some people really thought we we, we ran the company. He he held a, a, a like a, a a phone a UWA like chat line something like that where fans were able to call in and listen to the wrestlers and promote the show. So we we started this storyline where me and Chris, you know, we had we started arriving with Jay Miller because he was the on camera promoter of the company. So you know he he said we weren't going to win the titles. We had the scumbag nation. We're coming over in this. We're coming to Ohio to take over Ohio, bring the gold back to New York. Blah blah blah. We're taking over his company, you know. So we we started working this big storyline, and that's what happened in January. Also, if we won the tag team titles, we won fifty one percent of the company. So we had this big storyline going all the way to July. We had like so much book and plan. We was ending in a war games match, a five on five war games match where Brian Pillman Jr. was going to turn on us and become a good guy and help, you know, the company get back all the belts, get back to 51% ownership, blah, 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 blah. So we had a lot planned, and we had a lot of big names booked that he booked, because he booked Jerry Lawler, he booked Jimmy Hart, he booked whoever the guy was that Bruce Pritchard was hitting us up about money for. Jay Miller did all that. The big names, Jay Miller booked. The indie names, that the big indie people that we knew, that me and Chris were friends with, we booked. You know, when it came to like the Mike Orlando's or things like that, that we were trying to get in contact with. It was the, me and Chris went through the indie guys. But when it was the old veterans, Jay Miller was the one that got in contact with their agents or booking people and did all that. We didn't, we didn't know how he booked them or who we went. Like, that wasn't our business, you know? If he but we booked knew them on his own, that's we knew they were booked legitly when he, he disappeared and we were starting to get contacts with these people's money. 
we got in contact with Brian Pillman somehow right away. And we let him know what was going on. And he understood the situation. And we let him know everything, you know. And he understood what was going on. And, you know, he went on his own life. And, you know, now look at him. And this was going to be one of his earliest bookies. This was when he was first breaking into the Indies. And then, you know, that was the beginning of it of it for me, man. I started losing the taste of, of wrestling because of that guy. And I said, I need to show promoters how it's fucking done. I, I, this is what I want to do. And assholes like Jay Miller give fucking wrestling in general like a bad name. When you're a promoter of a company and you're doing shit like that and then disappearing a week before the show and dumping all this shit on mine and Chris's head. You know, and that was the, that was the beginning of me losing the taste of wanting to wrestle and want more wanting to why I started wrestling. I want to run my own company, and that was that was the beginning of it for me. And I felt like I was holding Chris back. By the time we got to um, Infinite Pro Wrestling, I was starting to feel unhealthy. I was starting to get blown up in the ring very quickly, and like he would have to carry ninety percent of the matches. And I, I felt like, you know, I'm holding this guy back. Chris was so talented, had so much talent, and me and him were in a tag team for about eight months, I would say. I, I was feeling like, yo, I'm done. I don't want to do this no more. I don't think my health is good enough to continue doing this, and I feel I'm holding you back. And he didn't want me to stop wrestling. He wanted to stay teaming up with me. He wanted me to continue. He didn't want me to just quit. And there was just this show in Infinite Pro Wrestling where I think, I think this guy purposely bust me open with a forearm to my forehead. I was leaking. I had to go to the hospital, get my head stitched up. And that was my last match. That was when I said, I'm done. I'm done. And Chris became a single superstar the next show. And as I said, I felt like I was holding him back. Towards the end of, of our tag team run, I was like, yo, Chris, I'm just holding on your coattails. You're taking me for the ride right now. And I, I, felt, I was feeling it. I was losing my heart. I was losing my passion for competing. And all I wanted to do at that time was just, you know, figure out how to bring Deep Impact Wrestling back as an independent promotion. But, you know, you need money to do that. And that's the one thing I lacked. I had the brain. I, I've met enough people throughout my time on the indies that I will be able to fill a roster with wrestlers. And the only thing I lack is money. The thing that we were doing, the things we were doing with UWL, man, it, like signing people to six month contract. Like I had contracts ready to go for the next show and people were down to sign them. Yeah. Oh, I would fought for the workers. That was my one thing was they were getting merchandise. All right. If they, whatever merchandise is out, they're getting not no fucking uh, 2% cut. No, you're going to get a 50% cut because this is your name, man. Yep. We we were designing the merchandise. We was producing the merchandise. We we had all these plans in, in going forward. And at that time, I was working a decent job where I told Jay Miller I will help you know fund whatever needs to be funded. You know, I I will help run this company for you since you know you know we're we're doing this together. We're gonna we're gonna succeed. By July, we would have been making money. The company would have definitely been making money by July after all the money we would have spent and put into it. That was the plan. We were bringing Jimmy Hart in to manage our, one of our, our big tag teams, The Elements, for four months. He was coming in in April, and he was going to work until July. April, May, June, July. We had a book that he was going to manage them and bring them to the next level that we knew that they were going to be at. 
they were going to rival with the girls after we lost the titles to the girls. All right, we, we had all these plans going. We were also kind of smart with the way we booked it. We wanted six months out of people, commitment, all right? They get paid, you know, whatever they agree, we agree on. And then after the six months, we were going to refresh the roster. We, we were signing you to another six months if you want to stay. You know, if you want to go elsewhere after July, do whatever whatever you want, that, that's, go ahead, do whatever you want. But, you know, these six-month contracts didn't mean that you only wrestled for us. It means that day that we give you for these six months, we need you that day. You cannot take another booking that day. You know, whatever you do the rest of the month, we don't care about. But our main thing is, you know, that day, we already had the days picked out for the January show, February show, March show, April show. We already had everything picked out. So you was getting your dates when you got booked. You already knew what dates you would be working. Yeah, I had every date written down in the contract. Yep. Everything was already done. We were going to take care of your travel. We were going to, whatever we had to do, you know, that's on, that's on Jay Miller's end. That's on the company's end. But Jay Miller agreed with all the contracts. I showed him the contracts. By the January, by the time the January show happened, we had a huge roster. So we was already booking the storylines for every, for everybody. Not just the world title storyline or the tag team title storyline. Every, every storyline from undercard, I mean, from, from the lower card to mid card to upper card. We was already planning it out. So we was already letting people know what they were going to be doing for the six months. They already knew their matches going into every show. We already had our plans and everything on paper, what each storyline was about, the focal points, what, what everybody, you know, what everybody's supposed to be doing. And then, you know, Shit happened, and Jay Miller, be, we found out, was a scumbag. You know, we was we were the scumbag nation, but Jay Miller was a scumbag. We were we were still wrestling elsewhere, also, even though we was doing the UWA stuff, and that was it. We continued our thing. You know, we had a lot of good matches all over. I, I love going to Rhode Island. I love Delaware. Fort Ten Massive was a great team we wrestled. Uh, the cool people. You know, we had. I, you know, I thought, you know, the spirit of Detroit thought we could have had better matches with them. The first match that we did have in January, it wasn't what we wanted. I mean, yeah, it was okay, but it wasn't what we wanted. And we felt that, that we could have done a hell of a lot better with them. We wanted more matches with them. We was going to be wrestling them a couple of times during the six months for, for, for our tag straps. Yeah. And like I said, Jay Miller made me lose my heart. And I started winding down. Coop, when we had the match with the Coop people, I almost got re- re-energized, almost, but my, my health was still bothering me, man. I couldn't hang the way I used to. At this time, well, how am I now? 37. So I was 32, 33 at this time. I'm a heavy smoker. You know, I'm, I'm starting to feel it. Chris tried to talk me out of it, but I, I knew health-wise I couldn't go on much longer doing 15, 20-minute matches, even in tag team matches, it, it was starting to get to me. And, you know, I, and once I went to the commentary table and he was solo, his fucking career took off like I fucking said it would anyway. I told him, I'm holding you back, bro. I know you can do so much better without me as your tag team partner. I'm still your brother. I'm still your best friend. I'm still here. I'm just not going to be in the ring with you. And it, it took him, you know, a couple of weeks to... Be like, I, right. you know, I, I support it, 
he didn't want me to go. That was all it was. He just didn't want me to go. And I, I had to, and I loved the way his career went. I, I'm so happy that I did do it. And when I look back at it, I'm happy that I did it because Chris Rex took off after that. And then fucking the pandemic killed it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, I gotta be honest with you, gentlemen. Like, based on this amazing story that I've been hearing, it's it's the similarity that I've what I've gone through in life, being a sports writer that wants to be a journalist that does shit the right way, not corrupt bullshit <coughs> that we see today. And you know, I was working for a website, and Chris knows the story because Chris, because based on what happened, is I nearly lost my passion for sports writing and journalism because I got stabbed in the back. Tell me what happened. I I I don't know too much about you, Alex. So, okay, I wouldn't mind getting to know you. You know, we're gonna be working together now for yeah. the foreseeable future. So, tell me about this. What happened? Well, I was working for a website called Unfiltered Access. I won't say the name of the co-owners because you know, like Chris says, you know, it's not worth the goddamn time. But if I'm gonna be honest with you, I gotta put some information. So I worked with them for three years, gave them, put them on the map, all the work, never got paid because I was building something. And then all of a sudden, they stop talking to me. Everything just stops. They they stabbed me right in the damn back. And I was and I already I was already friends with Chris at that time. And I told Chris everything. So I got stabbed in the back. And those guys still haven't even spoke to me because because they know what they did. They're afraid. They know what they did. But one way or the other, they're gonna fucking pay for it. So uh, that ended. And I told Chris, look, I don't know what I'm gonna do. My career could be dead. So Chris convinces me to go to podcasting along with several other people. But Chris actually referred me to a website that was looking for a writer. And since then, I recovered. I've only gotten my career has only gotten better. I'm still paying my dues, but things are going better now. With podcasting, I took over my career. I'm going to do things my way. Not go to ESPN or some bullshit media company says, "Here's a script. You're going to say this today." Fuck you. I want to report the news the way it's done. I don't do bullshit. And Chris can back me up on that. I'm, I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you because I didn't know you when when Chris first met you. I knew I knew of you, but I didn't know you, of course. You know, Chris, I knew everything, you know, Chris is involved in. I'm his, I'm his brother. Of course, I know what he's doing. But, yo, you came a long way. I'm proud of you, bro. I'm glad, you know, I feel that Chris is paying it forward because I feel I took Chris under my wings and look at him taking you under his wings. Amen. And Amen. Helping you, helping you get out of a, a, a slump that you're in. See, so I, I like that. That's fucking awesome. It's it's tough, too, because I'm always throwing my resume, throwing work samples to those mallets because, you know, I, I need to pay my bills. I got to take care of my family. But, you know, I figured, you know what? I recently, and I told Chris, I, I recently accepted the fact if I have to be self-employed, working my podcast, making a comfortable living off that, which is possible, then so fucking be it. I will not commit myself to go to a media company and then just spew out bullshit because journalism is hurt bad enough already. Okay, And I'm here out there really trying to convince the world I'm not like them. I tell the damn truth. That's why podcasting is the future. Podcasting is going to rule the world. No, hell yeah. And you have a gift of gab. Mm -hmm. So podcasting is somewhere where I think you belong. Writing yeah. is somewhere where you belong. The way you speak, you have a way of work with words. And I think you've you, you got a, a bright future in anything you put your mind to, man. Thank you so much. And, and primetime sports talk. And I, I, one of those days, I got to tell the guys what happened with the previous website. I'm sure they'll be, they'll be open to it. But what's amazing about primetime sports talk is they let writers write their way. Like as long as you, you cite your sources, do the follow the simple rules. They let writers do things their way, especially me who has experience. Like it's like a promoter letting a wrestler carry himself their way. In other words, they're not holding them back. It's the same thing that brought me and Alex together. That brought 
meme pun together that's now bringing pun and alex together and bringing us all on this podcast is our love for professional wrestling we have to thank for wrestling for it, you know because i would never know i wouldn't know fun if i never watched wrestling i wouldn't have became a backyard wrestler I if i had become a backyard wrestler i wouldn't have became a pro wrestler if i would to become a pro wrestler i probably wouldn't be doing this exactly you know that is true and and lately you know since the Wrestling started opening back up everywhere since the pandemic slowed down. I've been getting that itch. You know, I want to get back into the business, not in the ring. I want to be a manager is like what my itch is right now. I want to help. I really, I want to manage somebody that isn't great at promos. I want to be someone's mouthpiece and, you know, help push somebody that needs the help. That's that's my my where my mind is now. Of course, I wouldn't mind getting back into commentary also, and you know I'm going to be on this wrestling with a beer and pun podcast now. You know? <laughs> if you look at the logo, I took our names off of it, so now it's just wrestling with a bear on the logo. <laughs> Two dudes from New York wrestling a bear. <laughs> there we go. But I think it's more than wrestling that what got us all together it's because we've sacrificed we've been lied to we've gone through a lot in our lives what you said when people stopped talking to you that, that was rampage pro wrestling we, we went to delaware they booked us for two shows they said they have all these plans for us you know we even took a pay cut to help pay for the emt and then all of a sudden they stopped talking to us and didn't book us we had one great match out there and one and match out there but the end match wasn't out for it. It was one of the fucking guys we wrestled, man. That's why that match, oh, that, that match is why they probably didn't bring us back, but that wasn't even out for it. You know, you, everybody knows how wrestling is. So, you know, we planned out our match, whatever we had planned. And then in, in the fucking ring, he wants to, you know, change shit and, and duck out the ring when he was supposed to take a certain move and fucking run away. And, you know, you know he did some really fucked up shit and fucked up everything that we had planned. And that's why that match went to the shits. But then when we had the match with 410 Massive, that match was fucking awesome. And we thought, all right, they're going to definitely bring us back. Look at this fucking match we had. The crowd was going crazy for the match. And then they just stopped talking to us. Damn. That was it. Damn, damn, damn. Unfortunately, that happens a lot in pro wrestling. Yeah. Like, it's not just us. It happens to It happens to everybody. So, you see... You might be in journalism, but, you know, no matter what fucking field you're in, people experience the same fucking type of problems. It's called jealousy. I, in my opinion, it's called jealousy. And that's the thing. Me and Chris, when, when FSW ended, we built our own name. The snot, the scumbag, we built ourselves. We took our tag team and made it what, what it was. We didn't go to these companies and tell these fans to cheer for us. We were scumbags. We were doing the fucking craziest off the top of your mind things and the fans were cheering for us. Like when we went to BCW, we didn't plan to get over and, and they were mad that we were over with the crowd. They were mad that the crowd wanted to see us fight their tag team champions in our second week, our, our second show with the company. You know, they, they were mad that we got over. We didn't plan to get over. We don't go there being like, yeah, we're going to be good guys. No, we are the biggest scumbags on this earth. And that's how we acted every time we walked through a curtain. And we were getting cheered for it. Be the best bad guy you can. When Chris when Chris would get on his knees in front of an old guy in a wheelchair 
and tell him to get up on his feet and fight us. You know, and I, I, I yell, and yell and scream at little kids and make them cry and tell them to go home and read a book. It's past their bedtime. Your parents would be better parents instead of bringing you to a show full of violence. You know, so we did the, uh, some outlandish things. I picked on kids. He picked on old people. It was just part of our character. But we got cheered for it. People would make signs for us after seeing us one or two times. And, you know, we didn't plan it, but, you know, people didn't like it. And when we went to different companies, that was what we was dealing with. But we built our name on our own. We didn't have nobody help us. We went out there, promoted ourselves, sent our information out to the promoters on our own. You bring us in. It's not, you know, we don't we don't go out to your fans and while they're waiting online to buy a ticket, tell them, yo, make sure you cheer for us. Make sure you cheer for us. Make sure you cheer for us. It's that's not how it went down. It's like, you know. The second I see a fan, I'm in gimmick. That's it, yeah, yeah. If I'm out there smoking a cigarette and a fan happens to just be strolling by. Like if they come up to us, I'm gonna be a scumbag. Straight up. I I understand cameras aren't on or anything, but if me and Chris are outside smoking a cigarette together and and because there were minions that would come to these shows two, three hours early to wait online to buy these tickets for these independent shows, you know, and they're there here mad early waiting online. So whenever we, we go outside for a cigarette, the, the ring's not even set up yet and the minions are outside waiting. We got to get the tickets. We got to get those tickets. We got to get those tickets. And, and me and Chris, we're trying to now get around these guys. Because we didn't expect people to be outside already waiting online when we come out three hours before the showtime for a cigarette. And now we got to be a gimmick, you know. At least most of the time when we went outside, even if it was that early before the show, we at least had half our gear on. We were, we were, we were somewhat already in gear. But it'd be crazy when we went outside seeing that shit. You know, we, we were always a gimmick. And we did not plan for people to like us, but... When we joined new companies, they were they were upset that we got over so quickly, and they, you know they tried to bury us, but it didn't happen. Isn't that the whole reason you booked somebody? You know what I mean? If you're in Ohio or or something like that, or or fucking um Florida or something, that you're bringing someone from New York, then you obviously know something. You see something in them, and they get over. Use that. We're going to do whatever we can to be the heels. We're going to try. If they're cheering us, if you give us the chance, we'll, we'll eventually, we'll get them to hate us. We'll figure out what triggers them. We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to have that opportunity to trigger, to be able to trigger them. The kids and the old people didn't trigger people. So we had to figure out what was, but we triggered more of the fucking people in the locker room than the people in the crowd. How about when we sat at ringside with the tag team titans? <laughs> All right, I'll agree. We shouldn't have. We might have, we might have crossed, the, crossed line. the line a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. But the fans ate it up. And I think that's what matters the most. The fans ate it up. They fucking loved it. We, All right, so we were nowhere in talks of being in a rivalry with the tag team champions. But. For some reason, the fans would always say "snot" versus the Castmasters, right? Castmasters. They always would like "snot" Castmasters. They they wanted to see it. They wanted to see it. So we came out there in the Castmasters match, and we sat in the front row and grabbed their tag team titles and sat there holding their tag team titles, heckling the shit out of them. I mean, bro, we were scumbags. We were scumbags. 
we came up with the idea of sitting in the front row and ran it by the promoter and he was cool he said it was a good idea so that's what we did yeah you know like we brought our own chairs we didn't take any of the fans chairs we brought our own chairs from the back I think we put it in front of the front row, though. We yeah. sat in front of the front row. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's something like that. So it's not like we did anything besides maybe taking the belts, anything out of line, I, I don't think. We did that. The fans loved it, but the locker room hated it, and it caused a lot of drama with that company. And that was uh, that was the beginning of our tactic. That was right after FSW ended, and we started teaming up on our own and putting ourselves out there. That was pretty much the first company we got ourselves booked in and we got over in two shows and they didn't like it. I mean, you know, shit happens, Alex. But as long as you kept pushing, and that's what we did. We kept pushing. We kept pushing. We we got over in other places. But I don't know, you know, sometimes promoters brought us back continuously. Sometimes they didn't. We was going to Connecticut continuously until they made us fight each other. We come in there and they tell us, oh, yeah, so you guys are fighting each other. We have the same exact gear on. We're a fucking tag team. What 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 sense does it make that we're fighting each other? Does, does, does that even does, does that even make sense? It didn't make sense, so but ever? we did it, and we did it on a last minute thing where it was as a favor to somebody. We, we we and we planned a nice match, you know that that. And the whole thing was it was like a tournament thing, you know, and whoever went over was supposed to come back the next week and and continue in the tournament. We didn't shake enough hands. <laughs> yeah, and shaking up yeah, That's why we brought back. It's because you guys knew what was best for business, and it seems that others had a problem with it. You guys know the business. I mean, you guys, your intelligence level, is, it's at a we, high level. We, we self-promoted. We, we were very active on Facebook, Twitter, you know, promoting ourselves. You know, you know, getting ourselves out there when FSW ended. It was just, you know, at that time, you know, Joel took a break. Me and Chris had to get ourselves out there. We were on our own, pretty much. We weren't getting help getting bookings. We had to, we had to make a name for ourselves, so we did it on our own. But we were always scumbags. You know, we were always in our heel gimmick. We were always heels. And then kept, uh, locker rooms would hate that we got over in their company and we're, new, we're the new guys. And, you know, so we would have short stays because of, like you said, jealousy. And we we, we didn't want to be, oh, we, we like the booze. We we enjoy the booze. That's why we, we had these characters. Your heels. <laughs> but, you know, I, I enjoyed my, my, my fun time is just, I was doing everything with Chris. If I had to pick anybody in this world that I've ever met in my life to do what I did after FSW, even when I was, when I was flag boy. I would have wouldn't pick anybody else but Chris to do all that shit I did with. Absolutely. So that that that's always the bright side of all the drama and bullshit that we went through. I went through it with Chris. So you know, fuck it. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was an awesome time. If I ever fucking came back in wrestling, I, I'm gonna be still whatever company you're in. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I don't want to manage you because you don't need a manager. That that's the thing. I want to be a manager, but I don't want to manage you. You don't need a manager. You you are perfect on, on your own. No tag team, no group, no none of that shit that you did for the past fucking 12 years in your career. Uh, you, you need to be on, and you need to be on your own. Not even that you're better on your own. Like I said, even if, it, if it's commentary, managing, something, 
I, I do want to get back in one way or another. I guess I guess this is the first step, podcasting. This episode was to introduce our listeners. We have listeners all over the world, Italy, Germany, Portugal, I mean, <laughs> all of places I, I probably never go to or, or I'll never get to go to. I hope you guys understand who John Pun is and the, re- and the perspective he comes from with, as being an addition to Wrestling with a Bear and joining me and Alex and discussing wrestling. He'll be joining us for the next episode where we'll be talking about Cody Rhodes and the Ring of Honor acquisition by Tony Khan. Pun, why don't you do the honors of closing this episode? Oh, wow. All right, let me see. I, 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 I've been listening to the show long enough. I, I think I got this. All right, guys, let's go. All right, everybody listening, you could find Wrestling with a Bear on Facebook and Twitter at Rest with a Bear. That's W R E S with a Bear. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and Paint Train Pipe Bomb Productions on Streetwood. Don't forget, you can purchase official Wrestling with a Bear merchandise at watermaneuver.net. And now you can catch Don Fun joining Chris Rex and Alex every podcast that we do. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. And this is going to be a lot of fun times talking about everything that goes on in this beautiful industry. Amen, brother. As always, be excellent to each other and support pro wrestling. <laughs>